Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Awesome. Yeah, if you're if you're new or visiting or whatever, we've been tracking all year through the chronological Bible, and so we all bought Bibles. A lot of us did, and we've been reading that. Started right at the beginning. It's chronological. So when Zach says Jesus will show up, he means we haven't got to the New Testament yet. So we've been we've been tracking through the Old Testament, but it's good. The Old Testament's important. It's important to understand that there's a new covenant and there's an old covenant. But you know, in the old covenant, you need to know that because you need to see why there's a new covenant. And if you read the old covenant, you find out why Jesus was so necessary. You find out what happened at creation. You find out what happened at the fall. You find out Abraham and and you see a lot of wonderful things reading the Old Covenant. But in that, in the Old Covenant, we see Jesus was kind of hidden. He's in there, but you got to see him. You got to root him out. But Because Jesus said, when you study the scriptures, he says, they're all about me. The scriptures are all about me. So when you read the Old Covenant, you should be looking for Jesus all the time. So we've been doing that, but we're looking forward to getting to the New Testament. But it's so great that we've been seeing Jesus in so many amazing ways in the Old Covenant. It's been good, good, good. I got one more announcement for you. We got uh, a group of us are going to be in, uh, I got two more announcements, group, three more. Uh, a group of us are going to Nova Scotia, not this weekend, but next weekend, and we're doing the opening of Impact Bridgewater. It's already open. It's already up and starting, but we're doing the big launch on the 25th, and on the 24th, we're having a live concert and uh, bouncers and hot dogs and all kinds of stuff. We got the mayor and everybody else who's important coming to bless that day, but we're believing, I'm believing they're going to be overrun with 250 people in the first meeting. So I want you to pray about that with me, and let's keep, pray about that every day. Every day, just declare it, speak it. I'm praying that even today, they're going to experience that they're overrun. There's a lot of advertising going out. Starting tomorrow, we've got uh, radio ads going. We've had uh, ads in the papers. We've had, we've had 20,000 flyers sent out to the whole region. So we are blitzing in a massive way that whole area. You only get the launch once. So we're going to launch big, bold, and, and nasty in a good way. And we're just expecting that. Uh, and we're doing it. Why are we doing that? Because I tell you, Nova Scotia just needs a church that's manifesting the goodness, kindness, love, and grace of God. And I know it's going to go big. There are people there. They're, they have people now that have just in the last few weeks found them. And they're driving an hour and 15 minutes all the way from Halifax. Because they've been going, oh, we've been looking for a church that actually believes God's good. You know? <laughs> And so it's been so fantastic to see the rumblings and the things that are beginning to happen, and it's so good. Now, Toronto, it's the 28th, I think it's the 28th, is it 28th or 29th? It's either 28th or 29th, I think, is it 28th we got our golf tournament, is that it? September 28th, we got our golf tournament. So 29th, on the 29th, it's Sunday afternoon, Sunday at 6 o'clock p.m., we're going to take as many folks as you want to come. We want to go to our church in Toronto because we got an impact. We're taking over and working now with Impact Church Toronto right at Young and Castlefield. So it's a big deal right at the Young and Eglinton corner. Young and Eglinton 
it's growing so fast, it is projected to be the heaviest populated corner in all of Canada. So we have a church right at the heaviest populated corner in Canada, and it's going to be an impact church. It's going to be us. And so there's a group there now. They've invited us to come and partner with them. And uh, we're going to take a whole group, and we're going to do that night. We're just going to come together, have a time of worship and celebration. So I'm hoping that you're going to think about that, and you're going to say, you know what? I'd love to do that. I know it's all the way to Toronto in the afternoon, taking in a meeting with our, our new family, our, our new folks in Toronto, and then we're just going to bless them, love on them, have a great time together, and then we're going to head back home that same night, that same night. How many think that's a lot of driving in one day? Good. You're all invited. Let's do it. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So there you go. Just a few other things to throw at you. Today, we're going to minister. Today, we're going to minister. And I, I, tell you, I want to minister on prayer. And we're going to talk about where we are. We're, we're going to be ministering right out of where we are in our readings. The next couple of days, you're going to be reading Jeremiah. Last week, we talked about Jeremiah. And how many have been doing your reading? Doing your reading? And it's been a bit hard because Jeremiah, pretty, pretty sad message. He didn't even like his own sermons. He was like, God, I don't even want to speak anymore. But Jeremiah really turned the corner. We're going to look at some stuff today that is real, real good from the book of Jeremiah. So number one, you ready? God needs you to pray. 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 It's not that you need you to pray. God needs you to pray. You know, God has arranged things. He set things up in the affairs of your life and in the affairs of the earth. I mean, and Timothy said of first importance, of first importance, Paul said to Timothy, pray. And pray for those in authority. Pray for those in leadership. But the most important thing that God calls us to do is he wants us to pray. He wants to, us to engage his purpose. And if God's going to do anything in the earth, it's because he finds a people who know how to engage his purpose and bring it into manifestation in the earth. It's true. You're here. Thank you. Okay. Praise God. All right. Two misunderstandings. You ready? Two misunderstandings. Number one. His sovereignty, God's in control of everything. Number two, his immutability. These are attributes of God. His sovereignty, sovereignty, God. His reign, so he reigns over everything. So God's sovereign pastor. You ever watch TV? Some of you watch TV. You ever watch these uh, reality shows and they get voted off the island or something and they say, oh, well, everything happens for a reason. I hate that phrase. I hate it when people say that because it's, it's like, as Zach was saying, you're not a victim. You're not a victim of some fatal plan that's all been determined out there and, and you're just waiting for the next thing to happen in your life. You are not a victim. The only time you're a victim is if you don't know that you can pray. You're only a victim if you don't know that you can engage heaven and you have authority and power to shift your whole world. And you're only a victim. You don't know and don't understand and don't have a great revelation of what it is to pray. God is sovereign. He controls everything. And he is. It's an attribute of God. There's no doubt about it. Number two, he is immutable. God never changes. So if he's in control and he never changes his mind, then it's all fixed. It's all established. What do we got to even engage for? We just got to kind of walk along and hope it goes good today. And if I fall down the stairs, I say, thank God that's over with. You know, that's not the way it is. See, in the affairs of life, in the affairs of what's happening, God has set things up. He has set things in order that overall God is. He has overarching control of all things. But when he created things and he created the earth, he put you in it. He wanted man to have authority in the affairs of this world. 
And therefore, we've got a big responsibility to engage that and be involved in that. So there's a couple of misunderstandings right there. So God, God's going to do what he wants to do anyway, so why do I pray? Matthew 6, 8, the Father knows the things you need even before you ask him. So if he already knows what I need, like, why doesn't he do something? But look what it says before you ask him. You got to ask him and you got to engage him and you got to know what that's about. You got to know what your privileges are in prayer and you got to know how to engage heaven and bring things into manifestation. Can I get amen? Amen. All right. So two aspects of his nature that cause us to pray. You ready? Two things that cause us to pray. You ready? God is sovereign. Yes. And God is immutable. I thought those were the things that hindered us. Not only if you look at it the wrong way. I want to pray because you know what? The one I'm praying to, the one I'm engaging, his purpose, he is almighty. He is all powerful and nothing is too hard for him. So when I am engaging him, when I am opening up uh, an avenue through faith for him to express himself in the earth, there is nothing that my God can't do. Let's pray because God is almighty, powerful and sovereign over all. Yes. Hey, and you know what? He's immutable. You know what else I know? God is God and he changes not. He's always going to be good. He's the giver of every good gift. He's never going to change his mind. He's always going to be for me and he's always ready to act on my behalf. So why am I going to pray? Because he's sovereign and it's never going to change that he is good. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, so your right to call heaven to earth in every circumstance of your life has been absolutely restored because of what Jesus did. You should pray because God is powerful and pray because he's good. John 15, 7, my favorite verse on prayer. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it shall be granted. Amen. Now, you look at that but if... But if, so there's kind of an out with some folks because yes, pastor, but you have to remain in him and you have to have his word in you. So you can't just get anything you want anytime and it's not always granted to you. It's conditional upon you being in him and his word being in you. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you in him? Let me ask you a question. Condition number one, are you in him? Who put you there? Did he do a good job? Will anything take you out of his hands? See, sadly, that if could also be whoever. It could also be since. Since you remain in him. And since his word, his word remains in you, ask whatever you want. But sadly, the translations in our English language, limited with some of the Greek, uh, it could be whoever remains in him or whoever has his word in them. But you see, when we put if, sadly, I don't know why, but we read that, we go, oh yes, but clearly there's conditions on that. Well, there are conditions, but he met every one of them. He took care of it all. He qualified you. You are in Christ Jesus. You are in absolute total union with God. You can't get any closer to God than you are right now. You are in absolute. Those who are joined to him are one spirit with God. I mean, I'm one spirit with God. I can't get any closer than that. So listen, man, because of that, we need to know that God himself placed us and qualified us to be sons, qualified us for sonship and an inheritance, and he's given us his word. Therefore, we got to get with this asking program. Okay, 
Good, good. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. And I appointed you that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. I love these chapters. Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16 of John. You should meditate on those a lot. Because this is where Jesus now, he's in the upper room. And here he is, he's, he's having communion. It's the last days before he's going to be arrested. The last meeting, it's the last meal. This whole, those passages are all about this dinner that he had together with his disciples and his teaching that he gave them before he was about to be taken to the cross. They're about to have their world shaken, blown away. They're about to, they're believing that we're coming. Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. This could be so good. And all of a sudden, in a few hours, they're going to see him arrested and beaten and then hung on a cross. So understanding that their world is about to get rocked, Jesus says, come on, I want to have a little dinner meeting with you, and I want to share some very important facts before something that's going to rock your world takes place. But he teaches some powerful things here, and there's some very, very important things. Just going to get Kevin to open some water for me before I start going. Thanks, Kevin. Say thanks, Kevin. That was good. So he's teaching this, and he really taught him. He said there's, there's an old covenant, there's an old way of doing things. He says, but guys, there's a new covenant. He says there are all the old ways, the old laws, all that. He says, but there's going to a new covenant. There's going to be a new commandment and a new covenant. The old covenant is going to be done away with, and a new covenant is coming. The old commandments, they'll be done away with, and I'm going to give you a new command that you're going to love each other as I have loved you. So the whole thing is going to shift. So he takes his time. But in the middle of this, he also teaches them about prayer. All right, prayer. John 14, 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And do you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 16, 23 to 24. And in that day, say that day. Which means there's a time coming, guys. I'm talking to you about a time. I'm talking about a massive shift in how everything operates in the world of the Spirit and in the world of the kingdom of God. In that day. In that day. In that day. And that is today. Jesus was saying that day, but over that weekend, the whole day shifted. He said, in that day, he said, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, or whatever you ask, or whatever you declare, or whatever you command of the Father in my name. See, it's not like, oh, I'm begging you, God, do something in the name of Jesus. You see, now we're not using the name of Jesus as just like, I'm going to use his name, please, in Jesus' name, please do something. No, in the name of Jesus with authority, I command it to come into expression. So you're going to operate on a whole new level. Up until this point, you've never done this before. No one in history has ever prayed this way before. But in this new covenant, there's a new covenant way to pray. And we keep on praying old covenant prayers, hoping to get new covenant results. But there's a new covenant way to pray. There's a way to pray with authority. There's a way to pray with the name of Jesus. There's a way to command, to come into manifestation, the things that God has revealed to your heart. Amen. So you got to learn this. You got to know how to operate and how to do it because it's your responsibility. How are things going for you has a lot to do with your revelation of prayer and your revelation of new covenant prayer. So he said, until this time, you've not done this. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name, but now ask and you will receive. Now listen to this, answered prayer. Why does God let it happen? Why does he bring it into expression? That your joy may be 
full. I mean, God wants that answer prayer. God wants to flood you with joy. He wants you to rejoice that you're seeing his mind, his heart, his will manifest in the circumstances of your life. And you know what? He does that so that you can be full of joy. Thank you, pastor. All right, so Jesus teaching his disciples, big shift. Everything's governed in a different way. They'll walk in a whole new realm of power and authority. He said, I'm going to restore to you the open deed. Say open deed. I'm going to restore to you the open deed, the right to rule, to reign on earth through redemption in my blood. So it isn't going to go back to the way it was in Adam. That whole covenant, that whole way of doing something, it's over. And yet we still pray old covenant prayers. See, as Zach said, in the old covenant, prosperity worked this way. If you obey, God will bless you. And in the old covenant, it was like, if my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their ways. See, if you turn from your wicked ways, God will bless you. He'll come. He'll visit you. So you got to do this so God will do that. In the new covenant, it's like this. God did that. You believe it and you get it. But you see, if we keep praying old covenant prayers, those have no value and no authority in a new covenant construct. Because I don't have to obey to get God to move. Because God moved, I obey. I don't pray uh, to, to, I don't have to do something to overcome God's reluctance. I bring everything into subjection to the obedience of Carl. No, I bring everything into subjection to the obedience of Christ. See, it's the obedience of Christ on my behalf that I lean into. What does that lead to? It leads to obedience in your life. Obedience, though, that is not a work to get God to move. It's an obedience that's a result of a revelation of the finished work of the cross. And I pray you get that difference. There's no way I'm saying obedience isn't important. It's totally important. But what's the source of your obedience? You working something up to get God to get out of his squeeze, tight grasp, his reluctance to bless you? No, I don't obey to get him to move on my behalf. He moved on my behalf. Therefore, I obey as a fruit of faith, a fruit of righteousness, a fruit of revelation of the finished work of the cross. So it's an obedience that is a gift. It's an obedience that is a joy. It's an obedience that's an act of love. It's not a work of trying to overcome the reluctance of a stingy God. God has given and given and given because I understand the revelation of all he's done for me. I embrace it. I lean into it and I obey out of faith because he's done it all and this is not hard. Oh, what do I got to obey today to somehow... Look, God, I'm special. Please do something for me. I checked off four boxes of obedience yesterday. Check, check, check. Now you got to move. It's your turn. No, he moved. He moved once and for all. And he moved everything in every way. And now I lean in to the finished work of Jesus. And it's not by works because nobody can boast. If I got something out of God's hand because I exchanged enough, I've worked up enough obedience capital to get something from you. Then Paul, Paul in Romans said, that's not faith, that's works. You now deserve what you worked up through your own little personal obedience trip. But that's works. It's not a gift, it's not grace, it's not by faith if you had to work for it. But if you receive it by faith, if you lean into the finished work of the cross, that's faith and you don't deserve it. Here's the good news. You don't deserve it, lucky beggar, but he wants to give it to you anyways and you lean into it not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. Oh, am I going in circles? Am I hammering the same thing over and over again? Yes! Because we got to get delivered from that religious fleshly striving. Because you know what the flesh leads to? Death. 
You know what the Spirit leads to? Life. And that's why there's a lot of dissatisfied Christians out there because they feel like I've checked enough boxes that he should have done something by now. But your faith is in your activity, not in his finished work. Thank you, Jesus, for helping us with that one. All right. Okay, so hours, hours before he's about to go to the cross, he says, everything's shifting. Everything is changing. We have to get that shift. If we don't get that shift, we don't understand that shift, we are operating with, with tools that will not function. It's, it's like you got a 110-volt system, and it's over. It's now a 240-volt system, but you keep on trying to plug in your 110 tools. They won't work in the new covenant. All right, you okay? I <laughs> don't know why I'm belaboring that, but I got to because the flesh is ugly. It rises up. The flesh right now is screaming at me. I'm not sure the pastor's right about that one. Okay. All right. You ready? Acts. They understood this. They understood the power and authority of the name. Jesus. Peter goes out. He heals the lame man using the name. He said, in his name and through faith in his name, we made this man strong. He's just going to the temple like every other day to go for a time of prayer. And the guy says... Hello, everybody. I can't walk, can't help myself. Give me alms, give me alms. And he asked for alms, and Peter gave him legs. But then they were all like, oh, my God, just look at this. And Jesus passed this guy lots of times because he'd been begging at the gate beautiful all his life. All right, everybody knew this guy. But this day, Peter put a demand on the name of Jesus and on the authority that's in the name of Jesus. He healed him. Suddenly, everybody's like, Peter, oh, look at this man's a God. He's so awesome. And Peter said, what are you looking at me for? He said, don't look at me. It's not me and it's not my, here's another word. You ready? Another word. You ready? It's not my piety. It's not my holiness. I did not suddenly Pop onto the chart of, I'm looking for somebody who's holy enough to do something for God. I'm looking for somebody, whoop, whoop. Oh, Peter popped up on the chart of holy. You get to do a miracle. Oh, Peter said, it's not because I achieved some special status in the kingdom. I simply did this. I simply did this. In the name of Jesus, this man has been made whole. Can you use the name of Jesus, anybody here? Not everybody can, Pastor. He's talking to believers. Any believers here? Anybody in him? Anybody in him? Anybody got a revelation of his word? You're in him and you get a word that says, I can lay hands on the sick and recover. Boop! Qualified. Qualified to be a dispenser of heavenly favor. Hey! Hey! <laughs> okay. Acts chapter 4. So they called them and commanded them, do not teach in the name of Jesus. Did you notice that? Underline that. What are they not to teach in? The name. What are they, even people observing this new community, this new group of people who are followers of that Jesus guy, they saw that they were getting results, but they saw that the results were not because they were doing anything terribly special because they were all still pretty simple people. They said they're unlearned, ignorant people. But we notice that these unlearned, ignorant people, you know how they get results? We've studied it. You know how they get results? They do stuff in the name of Jesus. Even later on when Paul used the name, there was a group of Jewish uh, exorcists who, or exercisers, exorcists who wanted to cast out devils. They thought, wow, Paul's plan is really easy. We got the hard plan. Let's just use the name. If you use the name without relationship, you don't, if he remains in you, you're in him and you got his word, you got it. 
But see, they used the name, and they studied them, and they said, all they're doing is using the name. And then they said, all right, if we want to put this camp down, if we want to stop their influence and put an end to this movement, let's tell them, stop teaching people about, not about Jesus, but stop teaching in the name of Jesus. All right. Well, I'm not convinced, Pastor. Acts chapter 5, verse 40, they commanded them again that you should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So they, they, they brought them, arrested them, and they, they beat them, and they said, we don't want this movement going any further again. They said, do not use the name. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. Acts chapter 8, verse 12, Philip goes off, and he starts a revival in Samaria. So he wanted to teach the people, these new believers in Jesus, he wanted to teach them the ways of God. So when, but when they believed, okay, so what are they now? What are they now? Believers, thank you. Three people paying attention. So when they, when they, when they, Philip, they believed his preaching of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Say and. What does and do? It connects things, pulls things together. It means that if you stopped here, you did not have the complete thought. So he taught about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Well, isn't that the same thing? No, if it was the same thing, it's redundant. He wouldn't have said it. I don't think the Holy Ghost wastes words or throws things in that were important. But you know, an understanding and a revelation of how to operate in authority, how to operate in the finished work of the cross, how to operate in what Christ has accomplished for us, and knowing the what, the why, the when, the how, and then releasing it is really important to you. And it's really important to me. And it's really important to God's purpose being realized in the earth. Hello! We're in Jeremiah, by the way. We're going to be there the rest of the service. So bang, so they were teaching. They didn't just teach the kingdom. They taught the name. We don't teach the name as much. We throw it around. We use the name to bless our Cheerios. We do that, stuff like that. But what? Do we understand? It's, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my name, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restore my name. He says it in the Old Covenant. He said, I'm going to restore my name. He says, I'm going to bring it back to that place. Of, of understanding and revelation because people have used the Lord's name in vain. Well, the Lord's name in vain, that's when you cuss, right? No, the Lord's name in vain is when you add the name of Jesus to it without an expectation of heaven crushing whatever you called in authority. And if you're praying for somebody in the name of Jesus, but in your head you're going, oh, this is bad, nothing going to happen here in Jesus' name. That's a vain use of the name of Jesus. You're taking a name above every name, the most precious name, and you're throwing it around without an expectation of a manifestation of heaven. I will sanctify my name again, says the Lord, and it will be set apart, and it will be holy in these days. It's going to be powerful. All right, let me show you where this is. It's in the Old Testament. It's in your readings this week. In the next couple days, you're going to read this in Jeremiah, but I want you to see this in the book of Jeremiah. So let me show you this. Say inheritance. Say redemption. Inheritance and redemption. All right. So Jeremiah, he's locked up in this holding cell. He's locked up in the ground. So literally, they finally are so annoyed with him because he's preaching doom and gloom, prophesying, you're all going to Babylon. You're all going to be destroyed. All the nations, blah, blah, blah. It's going to get ugly. They got so tired of him. They dug a hole in the courtyard, and then they put him in it, and they put bars over top of it. So here's where Jeremiah is. He's underground looking up in this place, and this is where he 
starts talking, all right? So these chapters, 31, 32, 33, this is Jeremiah in a hole in the courtyard, all right? It's pretty ugly. It's not good. They're surrounded now. Babylon is coming. It's hopeless. It's despair. Everything he prophesied is coming to pass. They're all annoyed with them. They don't want to hear from them. So here we are, and Jeremiah starts to speak. You ready? Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. The days are coming. Say the days are coming. I love the authorized verse. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Several times he says that in this passage. He's talking about a preferred time. He's talking about a preferred future, but he's talking about right now for us. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. He said, and the city shall be built. Oh, go back. The days are coming, says the Lord. I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. I'll put my instruction deep within them. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Behold, the day is coming, says the Lord. Here's Jeremiah now talking to him. He's been prophesying, you're sinners, you're rotten dogs, you're evil people, God's going to judge you for your sins. Now all of a sudden he's in a pit in the courtyard and he's looking up saying, hey, it might be ugly now, but there's a day coming, says the Lord, when I'm going to forgive you, I'm going to visit you, I'm going to give you a new covenant, I'm going to blow away the old covenant, I'm going to cut a new covenant with you and my own son, and I'm going to forgive your sins, I'm going to live inside you, I'm not going to live outside. I'm gonna, and they're listening and going, what is he babbling off about now? Now, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. We're living in that day. We're living in that new covenant day. We're living in the day where his sins, he remembers our sins for about three hours. He remembers our sins no more. Then he goes on. He said, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that a city shall be built from the tower of Hananiel. From the tower of Hananiel means God himself condescends. God stoops down. God himself bows down. There's a place where God's going to be, and God himself is going to bow down into your situation, and he's going to visit his people in a big way, and he's going to restore things. So now he said, everything's going to be destroyed. Everything's going to be torn apart. But now suddenly, behold, the days are coming. Behold, the days are coming. He's prophesying all kinds of really, really good news. Really good news. And here's one of them. Behold, the city shall be built. Well, you said it's going to be torn down. It will be, but I'm telling you, restoration is coming. It's going to be built from the Tower of Hananiel to the corner gate. And then he gave all the dimensions. Those dimensions were not realized until 1935. In our generation, what he's prophesied right here in Jeremiah did not happen until less than 100 years ago. Those barriers were finally set up. We know something. That's pretty cool. That's God doing a restoration. That's a sign to us of something God's doing real big in our day. But he said, it shall be holy to the Lord. Listen now. He says, it will not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. I've told you this place is going to get destroyed, but there's a day coming where God's going to set it back up. He's going to restore it all. Him, he's going to condescend out of his goodness and grace. He's going to rebuild it and set up new boundaries, new boundaries that had not been set up until about 70 years ago. And he said, those boundaries will never be removed and it'll be established forever. Please settle down. Your enthusiasm it's crushing stuff right there. All right, so Jerusalem, those dimensions now. So he makes him perform this prophetic act. He says that. He says, prophesy that. And then he says, after prophesying that, I want you to do some prophetic act. He says, I want you to do something. So he says, I want you to say, put your money where your mouth is. Go ahead, say it. Put your money where your mouth is. Now, if somebody tells you some real beautiful preferred future, you go, yeah, sure, Whatever. 
You know, sometimes you say, well, prove it. I mean, you know, and then they give you some outrageous guarantee that that's going to happen. Well, he says, look, I want you to put your money where your mouth is. So he says, an uncle is going to come. And there's an uncle who redeems some land for you and your family. It's land that's yours by inheritance. But he took it and he took some of that land from you. The closed deed is yours, but the open deed you signed over to him so that you could have some money because you needed money. So you gave him a portion of your inherited land. So he said, now I want you to redeem that. Now, ultimately, it's mine by inheritance, so at the year of Jubilee, I get it back. So why redeem it? Why am I going to pay my uncle for it when on the year of Jubilee, when it all comes back, it's mine? He said, because I don't want you to get it by inheritance. I want you to get it back by redemption. Are you following me? So he says, look, I'm going to redeem the land. I'm going to come and redeem my people. And he says, what I want you to do as a prophetic act, there's a piece of land that your uncle has. He is already on his way. And all of a sudden, his uncle shows up. He says, you know that piece of land? That piece of land. That, and he says, uncle, I mean, we're surrounded by the Babylonians right now, quite honestly. Why would I redeem the land that's going to go to the enemy? That would be so stupid. But that's the point. Please follow me. You might have a situation in your life that seems surrounded and bleak. And it might look like there's no hope and there's despair. And you just, you'd be going, why should I bother? This is too far gone. And their situation, here's a piece of land that theirs by inheritance. There's things in your life that are theirs, yours by inheritance. There's things in God that are yours by inheritance. And you could say, I've tried, I've been there, I've done stuff, you know. I'm just going to, you know what, I'm not going to bother anymore this side of eternity. I'm going to wait until it's all my inheritance. I'm going to wait until what's mine finally done, finally written. Uh, you know, it's, I'm not manifesting all that God promised right now, but I will someday. And when he comes, he's going to obliterate everything and it won't be wonderful then and so I'm not even going to stir myself up I'm not going to hope again I'm not even going to expect again I'm just going to let time run out and you know what I'll get it all back when he comes and by inheritance it's mine but he doesn't want you to have it by inheritance he wants you to have it by redemption let me go on for me just click 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 another slide boom boom right in here click another slide boom boom see you got the the inheritance deed is sealed all right it's a sealed deed it's a sealed deed. I, I own a piece of property. It's mine. Now, if I want to lease it, I'm going to write a different deed. I'm going to write a deed of lease. Now, I still own the property, but I might tell somebody they can have it for five years. So this is closed. It's mine forever. This is open. And you know what? That person now could sublet it to somebody else because they have an open deed and an agreement that they can work with. So here's what happened. An open deed was given to mankind. God, who's sovereign over everything, said, I'm going to give an open deed to mankind that they can operate with an open deed in the affairs of the earth. But man gave that open deed to the devil. How do you know, pastor? Because the devil turned to Jesus and he said, what's been given to me, I can give to you. Nobody has authority except it's given. Even the devil had no authority except it's given. You have no authority except it's given. And what's really bad is to not use the authority that's given to you now. But the devil had the authority. He said, I was given the authority, and it would be not temptation to Jesus. If he really could not have given it to Jesus, it wasn't a legitimate temptation to say, bypass all the stuff, I'll give you it now. He says, I've got the open deed. I can give you the open deed right now. You don't have to do all. You don't have to obey your father. You don't have to go through all that stuff. Just, hey, sign here. I'll give it all to you. Not legitimate temptation if he couldn't do it. But you see, Jesus didn't come back to partner with that. Jesus came back to redeem the land because Jesus was our nearest kinsman.
Jesus did not come as a fallen angel. He didn't come as God. He came as a man, every bit God, but emptied himself of divinity to be a man so that that man could come and he could be our kids of redeemer and he could restore to us our rightful place to reign and rule. So I've just blown away all my slides and I've just moved on just because. But go ahead, just go ahead. Go ahead. Right, stop there. Two rights. Say two rights. There's a right of redemption, right of inheritance. Right of inheritance means, you know, when Jesus comes back, it'll all be set right. No more tears, no more crying, no more everything's perfectly done. And you know what? In the end, he's sovereign. Everything will be brought and subject to his feet. So we can just say, you know, that's all we got now. It's going to be miserable down here. It's going to be yucky, but won't it be good then? One day I'm going to go with Jesus. Won't it be good? Won't it be good? And it is good. But that's the right of inheritance. We got something better than that. We got the right of redemption. We don't have to sing, won't it be good then? We can sing, won't it be good then? And we can sing, ain't it good now? Ain't it good now? I mean, that's poor grammar, I know, ain't it? But, but you see, if we don't understand, if we don't have real working revelation of the word of God, we could be operating in a place that was way below our privileges just because we don't know the facts. And Jeremiah did this whole prophetic act just to be a, a picture, just to be a demonstration, just to prophesy, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when God is going to redeem every single thing. And just as I'm redeeming this land, God is going to send his son and he's going to redeem the eternal purpose of heaven for you that you don't have to wait until the sweet by and by. As soon as he said, it is finished, every single privilege and right is yours. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So there's right of redemption and there's right of inheritance. There's a seal deal. That is, that's God's forever and ever. Nobody will ever take that from him. But the open deed, it was out there. The open deed was out there. The devil was going around. I got the open deed. I can do whatever I want down here. I, what was he? He was the ruler of the prince of the year. What was he? Everybody was subject to the kingdom of darkness. Everybody was, and he had legal authority to do it. He doesn't have legal authority to do it anymore. He'll lie to you and tell you, no, 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 I still got it. Just prove it. You can't prove it because he took it from you. He took it and it's signed in his own blood. Done. So the right of redemption was Jesus to do, and he did it. We're not going to wait for the right of inheritance. It's all God's. Everything's God's because he's sovereign. But we're not operating out of the sovereignty of God. We're operating out of, operating out of the loving redemption of God. So the sealed deed is done, but the open deed has been restored to us. Give me another slide because I have no idea where I am. All right. Psalm 115, the heavens are, heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the children of man. So nothing good happens without prayer. Nothing good happens without prayer. Man has responsibility to have dominion. Man does. Give me another slide because we're having fun. Luke 4, 6, and 7, that's where the devil said, I'll give it to you because it was given to me. Give me another slide. We're just having a little recap here. Hey, here we are. You ready? Big deal right now. You ready? And they're there. They're singing. We see this picture in the heaven. We see in Revelation, the revelation of Jesus. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy. They're saying, who is there? Where is it? Who's going to open the scroll? Who's going to unseal that? Who's going to deal with the problem of this open scroll? Who's going to deal with the open deed? Who will? Who is worthy? Who is worthy? Who is worthy to redeem? Who is worthy to restore mankind? Who is worthy? 
to restore the purpose of God. And they cried out, ah, he's worthy. Look, it's the lamb looking like the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Who's worthy? Jesus is worthy. Why? They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scrolls to open its seals for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And you made us what? Kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign in the sweet by and by. No, and we shall reign on earth. Earth. Just give me another slide because I'm just gone. I'm out of there. Now, Jesus had the right inheritance, but he did exercise the right at redemption. So, so you've been restored, and the open deed is yours. You have dominion. You get the right to what belongs to you when you pray in Jesus' name. Now, let me just check, see if I forgot anything. Hit me up with a slide. Your right to call heaven to earth with every circumstance of your life been restored. You should pray. God is powerful. You should pray. God is always good. You should pray. God is powerful. You should pray. God is always good. I tried this before, Pastor. I mean, Terry, look, let there be leg. It's coming. Uh, don't you want to see those days when, when we start to see, like, uh, boom? In, Je in Jesus' name, Terry. In Jesus' name. I mean, Jesus said, don't, if you don't see the miracles, don't believe in me. Jesus said that. You know, if, if we keep on doing church and it's just little, little TED Talks. Hey, little TED Talk. You're going to like our talk today, folks. A couple little outlines for you. Take that and have a better week. If all we're going to do at church is a few TED Talks, we need the power of God. But if we keep on thinking the power of God is, is being withheld from us, and, and here's the other tension we go to, right? We go to religious struggles. We need his power, so let's fast more. We need his power. We need to pray more. We need his power. So, so, so if the devil can't, can't push you off into deception, he'll push you off into religious works. And he'll get you striving all kinds of crazy stuff. When, when Jesus did the whole thing and he made it so simple, it's too simple for all us smarty pants to just believe that it's not by my righteousness, it's his righteousness. And it's not my power, it's his power. And he decided to give me all authority and all power in the affairs of earth. You know, when we pray, we got to pray from that place. We can't pray from the place, oh, please, throw me a bone. See, that's, that's not even the way to pray. God says, I've done it. Now put a demand on the fact that I've done it. And then stand there. Stay fixed in it. Don't be moved in it. If it tarries, wait for it. It will surely come to pass. I know it gets creepy when that's manifesting and it's big and it's strong. You know what? A, go to the doctor. Take a pill. I don't care what you do. I'm opposed, to, I'm opposed to sickness. I'm opposed to pain. I'm opposed to it on every level. And, you know, do whatever we got to do to get rid of it under God's creation. Do it all. But let's believe for miracles. Let's believe. And in your life, in the affairs of your life, I pray that you'd pray every day. I pray that you declare every day over your life. Declare every day. And you know what? Sometimes things are not like you're praying. Sometimes it says in this world you're going to have trouble. In this world you're going to have tribulations. In this world you're going to go through seasons where what you're believing for, it sure don't look like that right now. 
And in that place, you can lean into, fear not, for I have overcome the world. Or you can say, eh, oh, well, I'm just going to keep quiet about my lack of manifestation and I'm just going to sit over here quietly. <laughs> Praise the Lord, everybody. No, you don't, have to, you don't have to not admit you're going through a struggle. You don't get through your struggles saying, I'm not struggling, I'm not struggling, I'm not struggling. How are you, brother? Blessed, hallelujah, blessed, glory to God. You don't get over your struggles by ignoring them and denying them. You get over them by introducing them to a higher power, which is God. How, you know, I was on the airplane the other day, and you know how we got off the runway? The, the captain came on and he said, everybody, we have a problem. It's called gravity. He says, it's holding us to the tarmac. So what I need you to do is everybody just close your eyes and all together, get, your, get yourselves together. You ready? Say, we deny gravity. We deny gravity. We deny gravity. Keep it up, folks. We deny gravity. We deny gravity. We're lifting. We deny gravity. You can't deny something and not have its influence. But you can't introduce something more powerful. So what they do is they say, We're, we got gravity is holding us down. So you know what we've done? We got this airplane and its wings are designed so that if we move this thing fast enough down the runway, so strap on your seat belts and get ready because I'm about to hit the thrusters because when I do, the air is going to go over the wings faster than under the wings and it's going to cause a dynamic. Another law is going to be introduced to gravity. A new law is going to be introduced to my gravity and folks, we're going to fly all the way to Halifax. We didn't deny gravity. We introduced something more powerful. You ready? You don't have to deny your sickness. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. You don't have to deny it. You have to announce, I'm healed in Jesus' name. The blood of Jesus has totally delivered me. The blood of Jesus has won everything for me. So you don't have to walk around with your eyes closed. Don't say it. Don't admit it. Don't even look. Oh, my God. Don't let anybody know you're having a problem. Don't, let anybody, don't ask anybody to pray for you because, oh, my God, they might know you're struggling. How you doing? I'm good. When two pray together and they agree on anything that's God's word, there's a bigger principle engaged. Two or more agreeing on something they have what they prayed for. Whoa. You get a group of people using the authority of the name of Jesus. Could we see London totally touched for Jesus? Could we see... A network of impact churches that goes from the Atlantic to the Pacific? Could we see a group of good news, happy, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking, fire-believing people fill the earth with his glory? Just, that's crazy stuff. I know, that's just out there. Listen, whatever's going on in your life, you're not a victim. God's given you power. He's given you ability. He's given you authority in the name of Jesus to change your world. And the ideal standard for your world is as it is in heaven. If it's not as it is in heaven, you have the right to confront it. You have the authority to confront it. In fact, you have the responsibility to say, this has to stop now in the name of Jesus.